Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is Luke 11, 1 through 13. Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus told them, when you pray, say, Father, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who has wronged us. And do not lead us into temptation. He also said to them, Imagine that one of you has a friend, and you go to that friend in the middle of the night. Imagine saying, Friend, loan me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. Imagine further that he answers from within the house, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I assure you, even if he would not get up and help because of his friendship, he will get up and give his friend whatever he needs because of his friend's brashness. And I tell you, ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Everyone who asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. To everyone who knocks, the door is opened. Which father among you would give a snake to your child if the child asked for a fish? If a child asked for an egg, what father would give the child a scorpion? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest, and the rest of us will be seated. Hello, non-runners. Welcome. (laughs) Making me feel good about myself. Well, we are in the middle, or we began a series last week in the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to continue in that series this morning, looking at really the first full phrase that Jesus gives to us to pray, our Father in heaven. Now, as we turn to receive from the Father in heaven his word to us, would you please pray with me? Father, Son, and Spirit, you are the God who has drawn us into your life through Jesus. Speak to us this morning. Give us ears to hear. Many of us need to know that you invite us into life with you. Make that invitation so clear in the way that many of us need it to be. And give us courage to step into it and to move toward you, the God who's already moved toward us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the Lord's Prayer, this prayer as we saw this morning in in Luke, that, that Jesus gave to his disciples in response to the question that his disciples asked, Jesus, teach us to pray 
as John has taught his disciples to pray. And Jesus does. He teaches the disciples to pray by giving them a prayer to pray. That this prayer is to shape them in their ways of thinking, not just simply about prayer and how to pray, but about God and one another and the world. And I mentioned last week that this is the prayer that Jesus gave to us, as obvious as that may be, needs to be said. There was not another prayer that Jesus gave to us to pray. This is the prayer from which we are to learn how to pray, is to contain all of our prayers, to shape the way that we pray to God. I'd like to share this quote that I shared last week from Dallas Willard. Many people make little progress in learning to pray simply because they do not, because they have not seriously entered into Jesus' answer to the explicit request, teach us to pray. Praying is a form of speaking, and it is best learned by entering into the words that Jesus gave us to say to God when we pray. He, being Jesus, is the master of this subject too. So Jesus teaches his disciples to pray and teaches us to pray as well. And I suggested that what this means is that we are always learning what it means to pray and how to pray. None of us have arrived. So those of you who don't know how to pray, and you are aware of that, the good news is Jesus teaches us. Learn how to pray from Jesus. For those of you who think you've arrived, the bad news is you haven't. And so the invitation is then to learn from Jesus how to pray. Because the prayer that Jesus offers to us is an invitation. It's an invitation into friendship with Jesus and with one another. It begins with our, the word our, which Jesus then pulls us into relationship with him. And as we will see today, with the Father, but also with each other. This is not my prayer. God is not my Father simply. He is our Father. This is our prayer together. And it is the prayer that Jesus is praying with us and then invites us to pray with him. But it's also an invitation to have our imagination shaped in the way that Christ would have them shaped. That we begin to desire, hope, long for that which Jesus hopes, desires, and longs for. It's an invitation to have our imagination shaped by Jesus. It's also an invitation into the good life. Jesus said that he came to give us life and to give us abundant life. That his vision of the good life is truly the vision that surpasses all other visions that we have and live out of every single day. And that our prayer with Jesus in the way that he is teaching us begins to shape our vision of the good life in such a way that we then begin to see Jesus as the one who defines what that's to look like. That is what we're going to be exploring together in this series, Lord, Teach Us to Pray and in this invitation to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Now, here's an image that has been really helpful as I think about this prayer, and it comes from um, two writers named Stanley Hauerwas and Will Willimon, and they say say this about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a lifelong act of bending our lives toward God in the way that God has offered. The Lord's Prayer is a lifelong act of bending our lives toward God in the way that God has offered That as we pray this prayer, that we are then drawn closer to God, that our lives are pulled toward God, and that our lives then become shaped by Christ through this prayer. 
And that by praying this prayer, our lives become more and more oriented toward God, toward Jesus himself. So this first phrase, this first full phrase this morning is what we're going to explore. Our Father in heaven. And there are obviously two components that are important to explore. And we're going to explore, and we're going to be looking at a lot of different scriptures. And it's the word Father, and it's the word in heaven. We not only are given a name for God from Jesus, but we're also, in our prayers, called to locate God, our Father, and in heaven. And here's my question. What does it mean to call God Father? What does it mean to call God Father? Now, for some of you, this is a good place to start. You might have a a good idea, conception of what a good father might be, and so this is helpful for you. Perhaps you've heard that this idea of Abba, Father, is, is something like a child would say to their, um, to their dad, Daddy or Papa or something like that, which has always been difficult for me, honestly, to kind of um, connect with. But for some, that is, that is how you conceive of this, so this is a good place to start. But for others, as soon as we read Our Father, it makes the prayer actually challenging. It complicates it a little bit, because your conception of Father, of who God is as Father, can't help but be shaped by your understanding of what fathers are in the world. Perhaps this means for you that a father, you didn't have a father growing up, that a father maybe distanced himself from you, or a father was, was perhaps abusive, or just not caring. So to name God as Father isn't helpful for you. Or perhaps it's not helpful and it actually disconnects you from the prayer, Because you think, I can't conceive of God in human terms. God is completely and wholly other. So to name God as Father is actually really complicated for me because I don't know how to do that. God is somewhere beyond that. Well, of course, Father, as a word, as a descriptor of who God is and what he's like, is metaphorical. Right? But but it's an important metaphor for Jesus. This is where he begins. But it's not to say that God has a gender. I think we would all agree, even if we conceive of God as having a gender, God actually transcends any conception of gender that we might have. In fact, scripturally, God is both given male and female qualities. Throughout scripture, God has been talked to given birth to Israel. In Isaiah, in Deuteronomy, in Job, it, it talks about God is giving birth to the world. In Isaiah, it talks about God as a nurturing and nursing mother to his people. But then, of course, we know of God as the Father throughout the story, and certainly Jesus names God as Father. So if we aren't to conceive of God as having a gender, then why does it matter for Jesus to call God Father? What are we saying when we say that about God? Well, if we think about ancient Near Eastern context of what a father is, a father is actually the person who carries the burden for the well-being of the family. How is the family going to be taken care of? How is the family going to be provided for? How is the family going to sustain itself through time? By the ongoing work and presence and commitment of the father. So the father is this one who is Committed, a good father is the one who is committed, no matter what, to the past, present, and future well-being of his family. 
It's really interesting. I was thinking about this and praying, even praying through this line. We have this, this challenge in our family, which is if, if I and my wife Mandy were standing next to each other and our kids come running in, um, 90% of the time they say, Mommy. And they ask a question, much to my wife's sanity. And, and I think... What is going on here? Why? <laughs> yeah, right? What is, what, who am I to you? Do I not, um, do I not exist to you? Do you not think that I will give you what it is you want or, or desire? Is it because of the way I talk? I mean, honestly, I get into like an existential crisis um, whenever my kids come in and they say, Mommy, 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 can we, can we, can we? And I just think, what? I don't even know what I'm doing here, but all right, great. And I've been thinking about this, so why? I mean, if, if, if the image of God as the nurturing, like nursing um, entity is that of, of, of sort of like the idea of, of the female in Scripture, then this idea of going to God as Father in this prayer in particular means I'm, I'm actually talking to the one who I can trust, will be there always to provide and care for me. That God is nurturing, certainly. That God is taking care of my emotional and, and needs and well-being. But when Jesus is asking us to conceive of God as Father and to pray the rest of this prayer in reference to this, he's asking us to talk to the one who has our best interests in mind, who knows what we need and will be committed all the way into the world, to the cross, and beyond to take care of what it is we need. So, but also, here's the mystery. And this is what we are praying when we enter into this prayer, our Father in heaven. The mystery is we don't know who the Father is apart from Jesus. Jesus himself reveals the Father. It says this in John 5, verses 19 through 20, and I'll just... Read a little bit from there. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. John 14 says this. He's talking to Philip. Because Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? We know who the Father is. We know to whom we are praying by looking at Jesus himself. Who has Jesus shown himself to be? Because that is the revelation of the Father himself. And if we were to consider who Jesus was, we see that the Father is one who is committed to his people, to being with his people no matter what. That the Father is one like Jesus who is committed to being with those who the rest of the world has oppressed or ostracized. The Father like Jesus is one who is, who will go to those and who is not afraid, who is not afraid of looking bad because he is with sinners. He is with the tax collectors. The Father is one who is continually and always committed even at the expense of himself. 
When Jesus talks about the father, he gives this image, which we all know, the story of the prodigal son, of this father who is out of his house waiting for his son to return so that he can run toward him with open arms into inviting him back into life with himself. That God, the Father, is one who doesn't just simply wait for the prodigal to return, but goes out into the field to locate the older brother who out of his bitterness and contempt can't stand to be around his, his other, the other brother. But God, the Father, as Jesus describes him, is the God who is willing even then to continue to go out. God, as Father, is all throughout the story the one who goes after his people with, as we sang this morning, reckless love at the expense of himself and sometimes what seems like his reputation. God holds nothing back for us. That is the type of father that we are praying to. But when we say father, we're not simply naming who God is and what he is like. We are naming who we are as well. Because in order to call God Father means that we are his children. And we have made, it's been possible for us to be God's children through the person of Jesus Christ. It says this in John 1, verses 9 through 13, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Speaking of Jesus. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We are God's children. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians says this, and it's an extended, it's an extended passage, but I want you to hear. And we, we went through Ephesians this last spring, but this is what's true of us. Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Amen. Because we, through Jesus Christ, and through no other way, not ourselves, not what we bring, but because of what God has done in Jesus. We are children of God. We have been adopted into the family of God and therefore have an inheritance, therefore have a hope, therefore have a future, therefore have salvation. 
This is what God the Father has made possible in Jesus, that we would become children of God. If you have connected yourself to the person of Jesus, you are nothing less than a child of God, and that changes everything. Our Father means we are praying to the God who is committed for all time to his children's well-being. And we, in Christ, are those children. But here's what's also remarkable about what's going on in this first phrase, our Father in heaven. That it's not actually possible for us to claim that God is Father except by the Holy Spirit. That somehow, even in this first phrase, there's the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit is present at the beginning of this prayer. It says this in Galatians 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. It says this in Romans 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Our Father brings us into the Trinitarian life with God, into this relationship that has always been a Father, Son, and Spirit is right here at the beginning of the prayer, and you just thought you were saying words. Nothing less is happening than being pulled into the very life of God when we say, Our Father. We are brought into life and relationship with Jesus. We are brought into life and relationship with one another, and we are taken up in God's very life, energy, and self-giving love. I mean, that's a pretty incredible thing. And that is why this is where we begin with prayer. Because nothing less is happening in prayer than this. Being taken up in the very life of God. Being, coming before the Father who is committed to us. Coming as children of God who can then ask the Father for what we will begin to ask of him moving from here. But this is the place to begin. Otherwise, you might think that you are just saying words. These aren't just words. This is the Christian life. This is what it means to be taken up into the life of God because we are in Christ, because we have the Spirit who is giving us the confidence and the ability to say, Abba, Father. But this isn't where we stop. We don't just simply say, Our Father, but we say, In heaven. So we have Father and heaven. We don't only name God, but we locate God. Why do you think that is? Why is that significant? To not simply name this relational intimacy that we have with God, but also to name God as in heaven. Well, I think much of the tension of the Christian life is lived in this reality that we both are to be with God in relationship, but somehow this God to whom we are in relationship is also completely other and sometimes feels distant. That there is both proximity and total otherness. 
So our Father in heaven not only brings us into that relationship, but reminds us that God is wholly other than who we are. And that matters. It matters because the God in heaven is the God to whom we can pray and ask that things be done. God is not us. God is not our conception of who he is. He is completely other in heaven, in the presence, where all things are working the way that they're supposed to be. And so therefore we can be so bold as to ask that the kingdom would come and that his will would be done. That we could have bread, our daily bread, not just for us, but for the world. That we could have forgiveness. That we could then forgive others. We are praying to our Father in heaven who has all of the power to do what it is he's promised that he will do. So it keeps God other. But it also does this, to locate God in heaven keeps us, which we are apt to do, from domesticating God, making God into our own image, also called idolatry. The people of God throughout Scripture have a problem with this. They think that they can get a handle on God. They think that they can actually somehow put God in, in, in pieces of things, whether it be pieces of gold, whether it be different types of images, We want to get a handle on God, but our Father in heaven is a Father we cannot get a handle on. And that is good news, because it means that he has our best interests in mind. He's in a conception of what my best interest is for the world. Again, Howard Wasson Willimon say this, Just to pray to a God who is in heaven is a warning against contemporary domestication of God. Here is a God who is not some pale image of ourselves, and our best aspirations. This God doesn't live here in our country, is not housed within our sanctuaries. God the Father rules from heaven. God the Father rules from heaven. We do not own God. We do not own God. Our Father bears witness to a relational reality But we do not own him. God is who he is and will always be. And I love it that that in that quote, he is better than our best aspirations of ourselves. And thank God that that is true. That our Father in heaven is the one to whom we pray. So that we can know that the God who is Father and committed to us in our well-being is the God who has the power to do what it is we need. It is good news that God does not look or think the way that you do or the way that I do or the way that we do. The only way to know who God, the Father in heaven, is is by looking at Jesus, is by praying with Jesus, is by having Jesus pray in us and through us by the Spirit This is how we are invited into relationship and friendship with Jesus, with God the Father, with the Spirit. This is how our imaginations begin to be shaped about who God is, about who Jesus has revealed him to be. This is how we begin to get a sense of what the good life actually looks like. Because God, the Father in heaven, the one who is committed to us, and the one who stands over and against us, the tension of the Christian life is to then trust that this God who says he is Father 
in heaven is the God who will do what he says he will do. And that is what makes him good. Because we look at the life of Jesus and we know that God himself stopped at nothing to reveal his ongoing forever love to his people, to his creation. So we can have hope that that will continue. And as we pray, kingdom come, will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us so that we can forgive others. Protect us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We can pray that with confidence because we are praying to the God, our Father in heaven, the one who Jesus has revealed, the one we can only know through him. Thanks be to God that that is true.